Uh, good evening, folks, and uh, welcome here tonight. My name's Dave, for anyone that I've not met before. I'm also part of the uh, the staff team uh, here, and uh, it's great that we started off with a couple of Christmas carols tonight. It's given me the opportunity uh, to reflect on those and to think that there must be a rule about Christmas carols. You either love Christmas carols or you bear, I wouldn't say hate, perhaps a strong dislike uh, of Christmas carols. Should we put it that way? Uh, I know that there are some people who can think of nothing better than belting out one after another for the entire evening, others who long for December 26th and the new year to roll around so that we can move on. Uh, I'll leave it to you to uh, decide which one you think I might be. Uh, who knows uh, what the answer may be. But one thing that Christmas carols do is give us a chance to talk about Jesus. So that has to be a good thing. Uh, and tonight, as we begin, we're going to begin by talking about the carol that we began the service with, once in Royal David's City. And we've got the first verse uh, up on the next slide there one more time. Just in case you had forgotten it, please don't sing at this point. Uh, you can later uh, if you like. But there it is. Once in Royal David's City stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother mild, Jesus Christ, her little child. So there you are. Uh, some research told me that this, uh, this song began its life as a poem, a poem written by someone, a lady called Cecil Francis Alexander in a, a book that she wrote called Hymns for Little Children, uh, which just sounds sweet, doesn't it? Hymns for Little Children. Uh, now, I will admit, I will stay first up, the majority of English Christmas carols don't have the greatest tunes. Uh, I'm sorry, again, if you do like that one, uh, you can bring up this one or that one and tell me, what about this? That's not too bad. But I'm talking generally, generally, the English Christmas carols, uh, I don't find the easiest to sing along to. Uh, this one at least has good lyrics, uh, some of them anyway. Uh, a lot of English Christmas carols seem to be tributes to snow and farm animals, uh, at least that's what they speak about the most. But this one, well, at least when we look at the words of this song, some of them are actually true. Uh, probably not the cattle shed, and uh, the manger is perhaps not the best word there either. But Royal David City, that part's real. Uh, it does happen in Royal David City, that's Bethlehem, uh, that's the city where Jesus was born. Uh, and it sounds impressive when you put it that way, doesn't it? Royal David City. I don't know what images that conjures in your head uh, when you think of a royal city. Perhaps you think of images of Buckingham Palace or similar dwellings, some grand ornate city, the centre of the civilised world, uh, except that it wasn't. Uh, Bethlehem, the name of the town in which Jesus was born, literally means house of bread. Uh, it was probably a bakery town. Uh, and not much else. It's like the Port Elliot of ancient Israel. Uh, you stop for a pie and maybe to take a little guided tour to walk around some of the sites where King David once walked, and then you continue on your journey up to Jerusalem. Because the thing is, despite being born in royal David's city, uh, David wasn't particularly royal. Uh, we're used to royals who are born into it, aren't we? People who are born to nobility, 
uh, who were raised with wealth and privilege. If we look to the medieval world, that's the tradition, is that royalty was supposed to have royal blood. Uh, That's what you had to do if you wanted to have someone uh, be a king or queen. They had to be raised with wealth and privilege, uh, the kind that we see on expensive talk shows uh, these days. But David, David was a shepherd. When they came looking for a king... David wasn't home because he was out in the fields looking after the sheep. That doesn't sound very royal. Uh, Once in royal David's city, with all uh, due respect to Cecil Francis, uh, is a hyped up way of saying one time in this quiet town something happened. Uh, Now Micah knew the score. Micah was our first reading. He was an Old Testament prophet towards the end of uh, the 8th century BC. That's a very long time ago. Uh, And in the passage that we heard read in chapter 5, he said this about Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. You see now, Micah knew that Bethlehem was nowhere. He didn't use hyped-up language to describe it. Uh, He said it was small among the clowns of Judah. Uh, So the opening line of our hymn, as impressive as it may have sound, is just that once in the middle of nowhere, some seemingly insignificant people had a baby. That doesn't sound quite so dramatic, does it? But because Micah had said that, 800 years before Jesus was born, more or less, this was a story that was loaded with potential. Micah spoke of something that was going to happen, something big, something important. And so it was a story that people should have been expecting, that even though this was not an impressive place, people knew that a king would come from Bethlehem. It was a story that generation after generation had passed down to their children. One day, this king is going to come. You know, it was something they knew. Uh, For us, it would be like waking up one morning, stepping out your front door uh, to see two legs in striped socks lying under your house Uh, and then a lion, a scarecrow and a tin man telling you they wanted to follow this golden road to find a wizard with them. Uh, You know where the story is going. There is a familiarity to it. Uh, And so it is with Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. God didn't need a big palace, a fanfare. He didn't need a fortune or royal blood to bring his leader into the world because God has always been the God who brings something out of nothing. Uh, That's how he works. That's how he worked in the beginning when he created all things from nothing. That's how he worked when he brought David to be Israel's king out of the fields caring for sheep. And more importantly... That's how God came into the world as this baby born in the last place you would have expected. There is a consistency to God in that he works despite our expectations. So Jesus was born. Jesus was born in the middle of nowhere, someone that you probably wouldn't have looked twice at. Now, you wouldn't think that uh, if you've received uh, more Christian-themed, we'll call them Christmas cards this year, if you've seen pictures of Jesus uh, on those, you would have thought Jesus would have been the most obvious baby in the world because he's front and centre of every single photo and he's so clean that he almost glows uh, when they take the pictures with the holiness uh, that he has 
stored in him, I suppose, uh, you wouldn't have looked twice at the real Jesus. He was just some newborn squawking away uh, in the corner. Uh, But the reality of who he was was far from that. To come back to our song again, uh, the second verse tells us that he came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. So the God who formed us slipped into the earth on that quiet night as one of us. But let's not just talk about songs, let's talk about the eyewitnesses. Now, even if you aren't familiar with Micah, you're probably familiar with Luke. You've probably at least heard of Luke. Luke is one of the guys who wrote the Gospels, the stories about Jesus and what he said and did. Uh, And and Luke is the one that we know is the historically minded uh, writer. We know that uh, because he mentions people like Caesar Augustus and Quirinius that none of the others do. People who were historical leaders who were around back then. uh, And you can go and look them up if you want to, to find out more about them. Uh, But back then, Luke says as well as these famous leaders that were known from one end of the Roman Empire to the other, there was a man named Joseph. Now Joseph and his pregnant fiancée walked from Nazareth up in the north of Israel all the way down to Bethlehem, which is in the south of Israel. There's no mention of donkeys, if you notice that in the song. I'm sorry, that's another myth. My apologies if that rules out any more favourite Christmas card options Uh, But Joseph was a descendant of David, uh, which sounds great, but when you factor in that there's been about a thousand years that have passed between David and Joseph, uh, there were a lot of descendants of David, if you can imagine how the family tree would have spread. But still, it's a little impressive, particularly considering that it happened back then, the family would have had to keep their own records to prove that Joseph was a descendant of David. There was no Ancestry.com back then to send off and find out about your famous royalty ancestors that you had. But this isn't a Disney movie, right? Joseph is not the long-lost heir to the throne just waiting to come into his inheritance, waiting to be discovered. He's just another ordinary citizen who happens to have a famous distant ancestor. If you're willing to go back a thousand years, the chances are there is at least one of us sitting in the room today who has royalty uh, in our background. But God doesn't need Joseph for his pedigree. There is more to the story. While they were there, It goes on, their baby was born. In verse 6 of Luke 2, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she, that's Mary, gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I'm sorry to say, but Christmas carols, Christmas cards have led us astray again because you read those two verses, verses 6 and 7, and if you have them or they're up there, you can look at them now. Uh, what do they conjure up? What image do you think of them? What, what do they describe to you? What familiar image, uh, perhaps? What I imagine, for most of us, is it's some variation on the quiet, run-down stable in the middle of nowhere, out in the wilderness, a little bit like the stable. If you were to come back here in daylight, you would see that we have uh, just out the back of the church. We've got a nice old stable uh, there, but in the uh, in the ones that we always see, the pictures of Jesus' birth, the front wall is always conveniently missing so that we can actually see uh, who's inside. And there's a bunch of remarkably good-natured animals just kind of standing around peering uh, at this baby as the only witnesses, the only human witnesses that tend to be in those pictures 
uh, Mary, Joseph and a surprisingly peaceful newborn or perhaps one or two visitors who came along later. Now, if you read some of the older translations of the Bible, uh, you read those verses, you read it says there was no room at the inn. You would have noticed if you were familiar with that version that this one's updated it to guest room. Uh, But no room at the inn conjures up those images of the grumpy old innkeeper, doesn't it, who turned them away so that they had to go out into the countryside, uh, even though that's more of an 18th century image than it is a 1st century one. But most likely, Joseph is back in his hometown. He would have had a lot of relatives in town. But the thing is, it's not just Mary and Joseph who are back in Bethlehem. Everyone is back in Bethlehem for the census. Every single descendant of David that there is. The guest rooms are literally filled to overflowing. That's their problem. Joseph is probably staying in the house of some distant relative. There are people sleeping everywhere. Think of those big family Christmases when everybody's come from interstate, perhaps overseas. You're all staying together. There are relatives everywhere, beds, couches, everywhere. There are just people settling in. And suddenly, in the midst of this chaos, uh, on this census night, Mary goes into labor and the baby is born. But where are you supposed to put a newborn baby in a house that is full to overflowing? There is not one square inch Uh, that you can put someone. So someone throws some fresh straw into a feeding trough, puts the baby in that because that's the best that we can do. Uh, Shove it in a corner uh, and just see how you go. You know, there are people going back and forth, coming and going. The place is full to overflowing. It's not just some quiet, peaceful scene happening off in the countryside with nobody noticing. But what difference does it make? You know, I'm saying here that The way that the Bible tells it is a little bit different from what we're used to in our Christmas cards. What difference does it really make if Christmas cards are inaccurate? Not much uh, on one level. This isn't really about debunking those myths that we have about Christmas. I think what matters most about what Luke has just told us concerning the birth of Jesus is that it happened in plain sight. There is not one part of this story that happens off in the distance. Jesus isn't born in some cave in the middle of nowhere and, you know, the angels uh, don't appear where nobody can see them. It's not all happening out of sight. It's happening right there in the middle of everyone. All these people see God come into the world. See, lots of people think that faith, lots of people think that Christianity is all about the unseen and therefore is disconnected from reality. I had this conversation just this week. I was talking to someone this week who said to me that the rules of logic don't apply when you are talking about religion because, in his words, all religion is based on myth anyway, so you can just ignore logic when you're deciding what you want to believe. But what if our faith was something that could be seen and touched? What if that's the message of Christmas? So that's how John, another one of the New Testament writers, opens his letter, his first letter, 1 John, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. He's talking about Jesus and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John says, I don't want to talk about myths. I don't want to talk about some strange thing that happened when no one was looking. I want to talk about the person I know. I want to talk about Jesus, God made flesh. And in fact, Luke says the same thing. Later on in Luke chapter 2, Simeon, 
Uh, another, another person who was in this story says this when he has seen Jesus, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared, you, that's God, have prepared in the sight of all nations. Right? Simeon makes that point that God didn't just want to sort of pop up in a vision here or there. He was right there in the midst of the people. See, the problem is that the real Jesus, the Jesus that we meet in God's word, the Jesus we meet in person, isn't the kind of person that you can compress to an image on a Christmas card. He's not the kind of person that you can put behind glass in a diorama. If you remember those uh, that people like to put up at Christmas or a nativity scene. He doesn't even fit in particularly well with our Christmas plans sometimes, does he? It'd be a lot easier if Jesus would just sit quietly in the stable out the back so that we could have a quick look uh, and then get on with lunch. But that's not what he does. That's not what God does. God's not interested in nice seasonal stories. God is interested in redefining the whole world. God is about reshaping lives. See, if God were distant, mythical, remote, he would be easy to ignore. But when God comes too close, then we have to do something about him. And that's what Christmas is actually all about. It's about God coming close. It's about God tapping us on the shoulder and reminding us that he's here. Reminding us that he's not just a theme for the holiday. But there's better than that too. Reminding us that we have hope. Reminding us that all the evil of the world can be undone. Reminding us that he loves us. Reminding us to rejoice in the birth of the saviour of the world. It's nearly Christmas morning. It's getting quite close, actually. Why don't we finish by saying something nice about that song? It's one of the better ones, really. It starts up again in the last verse, and again, it's talking about stables and oxen. Uh, so let's jump past that. Uh, but where does this song land? I think this is the good thing about this particular song, because it doesn't land in a stable, it doesn't land in a manger, it doesn't land anywhere else in earth. Have a look at the end of it. We shall see him, that's Jesus, but in heaven, set at God's right hand on high, when like stars his children crowned, all in white shall wait around. See, that's the end point of Christmas. It might begin with that little baby born in the middle of nowhere, but God enters the world to bring us with him into the new world that he has prepared. Now, I wonder if you've ever been in a cable car. I once rode in the Christchurch gondola. Uh, there's a picture of it there and it's setting. It climbs Mount Cavendish, which is at one end of that cable, I presume, uh, which is in Christchurch in New Zealand. Now, here's the tricky thing about cable cars. Cable cars take you from the bottom of a mountain to the top of a mountain. It's pretty tricky, isn't it? You get in at the bottom, it goes all the way up to the top and then you get out and you're at the top of the mountain. Actually, it's quite simple uh, now that I describe it that way. Uh, but the thing is, the start and the end are not the only important parts of that story, are they? Because we've talked about the start and the end. We've talked about the baby that was born on that first Christmas morning. We've talked about the end, uh, which is when we're gathered with him in heaven. But the bit in between is just as important. You see, if the cable car doesn't work in the middle, you don't get to the top. 
God coming into the world is just the starting point of God's end game. The end doesn't come yet. We're still on the ride. See, Christmas is God's announcement that he has started something big with Jesus. But it's also his invitation to join him on that journey. So people like to go to look at nativity scenes. That's kind of a big thing around this time of year. I know we've had scenes out the front that many people have stopped to look at. But the thing about nativity scenes is they don't live, they don't move, they don't breathe. You can keep them at arm's length. You can put them out, look at them, and then put them away again until next year. How close is the Christmas story to you this year? Is it something that's safely behind glass that we can enjoy for a few days and then put away? Or are you on that journey with Jesus? Because to treat Christmas like a nice story but ignore the call to follow is like going and looking at the cable car at the bottom of the mountain and saying, that's a nice cable car. Looking at how it works, but it won't get you anywhere unless you get on. Because Christmas is a great story and the songs aren't bad, I suppose. Uh, But even more, it's the greatest invitation to the greatest journey that there is of all. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Christmas. We do thank you for Jesus. We do thank you for that event, uh, which in some ways was so simple. Uh, Simply a baby born at a busy time uh, when lots of people were in town. But at the same time, the beginning of the most incredible story of transformation, the beginning of your redemption of the world, the beginning of your calling people to yourself and the beginning of the fulfilment of your promise to make all that is wrong in your world right again. Uh, Lord, this Christmas, as we think about what it means for you to break into this world as one of us, We pray that you would help us to see that as the invitation that it is and help us to have that courage to walk with you uh, wherever you may lead us in what life holds. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.